This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. This brother, actually, I feel like I've known him forever because he joined me during my trial run before SiriusXM actually said, you're hired. It was August of 2014. I was a over-the-moon fan for his role on Sleepy Hollow. That, before that show went left, I'm not going to get into that. But he came on, and we had this conversation about guns and violence and growing up in Alabama, and he you know, shared some intimate stories. It was the first time I was like, this man is more than just somebody I see on TV. He's got a lot of depth. And uh, this tonight, he's going to be in New York, those of you in New York, uh, performing at the Gotham Comedy Club. He's joining me. He's been here several times. I love him. His name is Orlando Jones. Hello. Hello, hello. How are you? Good to see you. <laughs> I, I'm, it's good to be seen. And I didn't realize we've been, go, we've been uh, knowing each other for eight years. It's like yeah, we're friends. Yeah, we, we go all, together. We go together now. Yeah, eight we go years. together. <laughs> we really girlfriends now. A girlfriend, but how would we do it? We I don't know. We ain't chose pronouns, but I just know we close. <laughs> I chose a pronoun. We, us, we. Yes, us. Those I'll are all pronouns. Us. Yes. I'll take both of them. Yes, I love it. Um, for you, uh, and I was like, I I could talk with you about everything. Um, politically, there's a lot happening in the world. Uh, and you somehow are able to express yourself and still land roles on Abbott Elementary, which I saw you're going to be playing the father of of Tyler's character. I was like, that's perfect casting. I know, you You know, he's probably been said that he looks like you. You're, to me, very handsome. But you, you, please, how, how did I you get, get this role? Very, I, Tyler called me. I mean, I think, no, Quinta. Quinta called me and was, like hey would you you know it was last season we were I think they were just getting off the ground it was a pandemic and you know I've, I've known Tyler since everybody hates Chris and you know Ali Leroy ran that show along with my friend Rodney Barnes and uh and Allison and all those writers that were over there so yeah I got a call from Quentin she was like will you come do it and I was like of course so and and then I won an award for it and then now I'm back so that's that's been the trajectory it's been a lot of fun there Cheryl Lee Ralph is awesome and, and oh, Tyler's wow. awesome. I mean, I, I love the show. I love all the characters. So a lot of fun. I just watched Oprah's interview with Quinta uh, last night. And I was like, okay. you know, you think about being in Hollywood as long as you have to have somebody imagine a world that they want to live in and then create it and then have quote unquote Hollywood, you know, because it's a certain kind of time that we're in where there's space for it. And then it mm-hmm. breaks through. Like it just, oh, and mm. she said she wanted to create a show that her grandfather and her three-year-old nephew could watch with her because nothing existed. Mm-hmm. She said there was a void in the market where, you know, growing up watching TV with elders and everybody could laugh. This was the show and it is absolutely that show. As an artist, tell me, tell me how you feel about the future. <laughs> <laughs> Look, more than anything, I think uh, I remember what it felt like to be a young man. And I remember feeling like the world was was wide open, right? And that I could get anywhere I wanted to get to. I could figure it out. And I hope that young people still feel that way. So I feel that there's tremendous opportunity and tremendous hope 
But I also feel like that's all what the period we're in is a function of that. It's part of the journey. So it might not be a fun part of the journey, but it's part of the journey. And, uh, you know, it's a messy time right now. It's, it's, it's hard to care. There's so much going on and you see so much at a certain point. It's just hard to care anymore. I mean, about so many different things. But at the same time, if you're an artist, it's impossible not to. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited about Abbott. I think she's right. There, there is that void in the marketplace. And with my own daughters, the shows that we choose and watch are shows that we can all watch with, you know, I have a five-year-old and 12-year-old, and then you have my parents who are in their, you know, late seventies, early eighties, and then you have me. And so that's three generations of individuals who like to get together and enjoy our time together. And Quince is right. There's a void in the marketplace. So the fact that she identified it and was able to get it on and have it break through to me, well, amazing, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I love that. But, you know, I, I also think that there's a fair amount of other content going on as well. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that washes over us, as it were. <laughs> as as I was watching the interview, the, the word fearless kept coming through because, you know, we have to be unjaded by whatever the world is, whatever the world is showing us of itself and have vision to see I'm going to create a place. And I don't care whether they're roadblocks or, you know, whatever, like your character on on uh, American Gods was groundbreaking and inspiring. And we talked about you leaving that show uh, not on your own volition because it was just too much. And at some point we have to have the control of the reins. And I was saying before you came here as the parents of the world, we're going to have to set the children down and take take power over life so that things can be put back right. And that requires us to have a level of fearlessness and seeing through all of the muck and the mire that we're in right now to get to the other side of that. The the other side of that is the children, the children, (laughs) children are the future. It's it's the reality of of what it is. I mean, at least for me, I see it that way. I have two daughters. How else could I see it as a a parent? You know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm I'm not trying to unleash them into a world of hopelessness. That's not, that's not the game. So for me, absolutely. I think that's key just in your vision of the world. So when I look at what's going on, I have a critical eye most certainly, but I I try and at least maintain one that's, that's that's somewhat hopeful because ultimately it's a hoax anyway. It's, it's, it's a game. This is, Pitting us against each other has always been the game. That's the playbook. This is an age old playbook. It's not new. So, you know, there's no reason for us to respond to it. Like we don't know what it is. You know what I mean? That's the other thing, you know, watching that interview. And uh, last night was the finale of Queen Sugar. And I was talking about Ava DuVernay and how she was intentional about making sure every episode was uh, directed by a woman on purpose and mostly women that never got an opportunity to direct, to direct. And, you know, your resume is everything, right? So if you've never done it before, you don't get the opportunities. It's one of those weird, you know, cycles like, well, we can't let you do it. You have no experience. Well, how do I get experience unless somebody lets me do it? Ha ha. That's always the thing. So Ava's like, I'm going to fix that. Right. And, and, and it has a, and it also has another side that, that nobody wants to talk about, which is, a cost, right? Because you also have a lot of people who are not qualified for the positions they're in because all shows are not created equal. So suddenly you have um, um, a, a young director or an older, a young director in, in their opportunity 
on a show like uh, you know, the, 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 of the scope and scale of the Westworlds and Game of Thrones and American Gods, they're not equipped for those jobs yet. They're not able to pull those shows off in the 12 days it might you might get to do it, right? They really need 22, right? So the cost then gets paid back on the actors of color because they're sitting there with an unseasoned director behind the schedule, feeling as if them and their show is now being blamed because of that very aspect, right? Mm. Because you have people who frankly are not ready for that job. Certainly you want them to get jobs, but because the executive class doesn't understand the difficulty and the efficacy between a show like Abbott Elementary, which takes place one way and is produced one way, and a show like Winning Time, which is produced another way and has seven stages on Warner Brothers. It's a colossal show. It's period. There are so many more moving parts on that type of show. So there are many directors who are not capable of that, who are getting an opportunity now. And then there's the way the system, the business goes, oh, see, can't do the job. So there's a That's lot a of setup. that going yes. on too. Well, I yeah. feel like we don't get... I feel like you're not talking about people of color getting those big opportunities because they don't give us big opportunities to F up the bag, but they're, they're, I am, they're... I am. I'm talking oh, about people okay. of color who are getting those opportunities, but unfortunately are not quite ready for the opportunity and the cost that the people who of color, who know what they're doing have to pay because the circumstances put this person in this place, but they're not ready for it. And that's oh, a, that's a oh, cost that is going oh. on right now simultaneously that's not being talked about. That that's the point I'm. No, I I appreciate what you're saying. I remember being a young. Uh, I I remember getting a job at the New York Daily News at 21 when I wasn't ready, <laughs> and I knew I wasn't ready, right. and I knew I got that job because they had just been sued for racism. So what right. I did is I went to Barnes and Noble and bought a bunch of books on journalism and had them in my desk because what I was not going to do was fail. And then I made friends with every black editor at the Daily News. And I every before I even submitted a piece, I would have each of them read it different, you know, so they ain't know like different people to get feedback to make yes, sure man. that my excellence was on display because what I wasn't going to do was fail because they were waiting for me to fail. And then I watched them hire some people who were not ready and they did fail and did miserably. And it was embarrassing because then it's like, see, we hired the black people and they just aren't ready. But I had a front page piece my first, second month there uh, in the Sunday mm -hmm. Daily News, not the sports section, Ow. which I was in. So I was like, yes, yes. But yes. it was because of all of those other editors that I made them my mentors. <laughs> Maybe some of in spite of, you know, in spite of themselves, they helped me to get there. And I did the same for, you know, others when they came through, because that's how we win together. 100%. For me, realizing that the future and our success is based on our community and working as a community is exactly, that's it. There's no, I wouldn't have survived. I had Susan Fails to help me through. I had Debbie Allen to help me through. I had Gina Prince Bythewood and Reggie Bythewood. We met, we all started out together. Yvette Lee Bowser was there. We were all there. We were all there together, right? Figuring it out. But we were, you know, we were a community. We were a group. And, and as you said, those were my mentors, right? Along with, you know, a guy named Gary Miller and Joe Fish and a bunch of other old sitcom writers from shows like Night Court and First and Ten. I had a lot of people who took me under their wing who taught me 
and help me get through. So for me, I'm not against what's happening now. I think it's actually important, but I think when it gets caught up in the rhetoric of politics and it's affirmative action and this, that, and CCC, because I knew a lot of other people who weren't of color, who also didn't know what they're doing, who also came through that same way without the version of a uh, affirmative action movement, they just came through on nepotism, right? Mm. So they still got in the room, they still didn't know what they were doing, and they still figured their way through, right? Some stayed, some didn't. But my point is, we all get there how we get there, as you said, and how I believe is, it's about how we make use of that opportunity. It's not us trying to deal with any of the other madness, because if you make use of the opportunity, then you can keep the door open for someone else to come behind you. For me, that's the most important thing. So that's kind of where I try and focus my attention. That's what I'm doing with my show in New York, Orlando Jones and Company. I'm bringing a bunch of kids from uh, North Carolina and Raleigh, different comedians and whatnot. I've been taking them on tour with me for the last four or five months. So they get the time. So they get the opportunity. How else do you get the opportunity? There's, there's really no other way. So if I can provide it and they can get an opportunity and then one of them shoots off, get them make me happy than that. That's, that's what the game is about for me. This is the only way forward. Tiffany Haddish did the same with the they ready and they ready too, and all of, you know, it's important uh, from, I feel like you, you can't win unless everybody's winning. Like here, let's well, go. Yeah. I mean, either you, if you, if you, our strength, right. It's, as Cornell West would describe <laughs> is, is based on our love. Black love has always been about fighting for everybody. It's always been, you know, civil rights movement wasn't just asking for rights for black folk. It was asking for equal rights for everybody. We've never had a movement that wasn't asking for everybody. So uh, I believe that love is an important love. It's a love that I grew up in knowing I know it well. And I believe it, it says that it's about everybody. As long as you keep that focus, you can be okay. But, you know, you know, people get in their feelings and they start believing the press and things happen, right? And we all go through our journeys. But hopefully people will come back and we'll build more infrastructure because right now that's what's missing. We don't have enough infrastructure. We still don't have control of the reins in a way that we can truly tell those stories and also choose stories that are more risky that the machine might not necessarily think are okay. But, you know, no one can claim the machine isn't trying at this point uh, by throwing everything they can at the wall. <laughs> I mean, on that, Lovecraft Country. I thought it was groundbreaking yes. and stunning and Misha Green from Underground. I was like, that that pissed me off that, you know, that Harriet Tubman monologue by Aisha, Aisha Hines to me was one of the best single episodes I've ever seen. One person sit and look into a camera that I've seen and didn't even get an Emmy. Like, are you kidding me? But, you know, those people in their awards. But and then it didn't get a second season, Lovecraft. Right. So that went away too, yeah. Um, yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, I mean, but, you know, exactly, right? You don't, who knows the, there's so many other things going on that often are not about the show, right? Um, and, and that's what I feel, that's the unfortunate part, right? If, if, it, if, 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 if Tyler and Byron and these other titans of industry, as it were, uh, are able to take a show like that, put it on the air and believe in it and keep it, then maybe we'll see more of that but that doesn't seem the way that their business models are put together either. Right. I don't, I don't, I'm not speaking for <laughs> no, them. I'm just you saying. Are, you are t absolutely right. Their business model is predicated upon profit period. They, you know, right. I was told directly it's about the profit for him and, and for all of them, for them, the profit means I now get to give more opportunities. I'm not here for the art. 
I'm not here to make it good per se. I'm here right. to make money, to make money. And if I can make money putting on an award show, which brings in lots of advertising, which is what I've been fighting for. And this is what I went to court about. And now I'm getting that advertising dollar that allows me to buy media and what all these other things. And it's more money, more money, more money. Some people are put here to make a difference. I'm happy about that, by the way. Let me say I'm not disparaging the I'm more not money. Mad at it. It's just not art. Yeah. I mean, the, no, like, it's not. Like, cavemen did not paint on walls. For money, <laughs> did not. Cavemen painted on walls because they was trying to leave a little roadmap to the ones that they were leaving behind because they wanted them to be able to get through and be okay too. I, I, again, I'm not against the idea of, of capitalism and money. I'm not against it. However, I'm an artist, and I'm not also going to act like that's the metric, right? It, it's about how you move somebody's soul. It's about how you touch somebody. It's about how you help somebody move through. That's what James Baldwin and Nita Sabone we're talking about that is art for me because those are artists now if art to you is about how i make more money and more money and the more money and i got the most money and the money is the money but the money then that's cool i'm i call me old school i'm more i like decorum i like scruples i like these other components because i feel like if all we leave behind for children is money money my money my money my money then they will be lost and that's in my are. personal opinion no, and it's as a an good artist. one. I share it. I share it, and I'm not an artist. <laughs> as an but artist. I'm sensitive about my, <laughs> still sensitive about my. That's right. That's yes, exactly right. So <laughs> I want to see more Badus. I, you know, I want to. I want to see um, the feminine unleashed the way it was. I was growing up with the women that were standing around me. I ain't seen that yet. I've seen it tamed, and I've seen it repackaged a lot of different ways. But and you know, I haven't seen a lot of pictures of the women that raised me. Come on through, Orlando Jones. This is why he is who he is. I love him. I love this man. 866-801-8255. He is here. Now, you're going to be in Gotham's Comedy Club, and you're going around the country. Tell us about the people that you are highlighting. And, folk, let me tell you, somebody in the Nubia chat was like, is that Orlando Jones from the 7-Up commercial? Yes. (laughs) That's funny. Do people still come up to you with that? Because it was was, uh, pretty... You know, when we used to watch TV and couldn't fast forward through commercials, when <laughs> we were forced to actually watch the commercials, how how, yes. how impactful was that as a launch pad to your career? <laughs> um, so I had an advertising agency since I was eight, since I was eighteen years old. I wrote those ads. Um, what? And, uh, Wait, pause. Them. Stop. Yes, ma'am. Why am I today years old finding this out? I knew I liked this. <laughs> Go ahead, continue. I'm sorry for interrupting. Go ahead, please. Tell us more. So uh, I, at first, I didn't really want to do them uh, just because I've been in the advertising game since I was 18. So I was like, hey, I'm good on that. Uh, I'll, I'll write some copy or keep it moving or whatnot. And they were like, no, no, no. And so we made a deal and they, you know, they, they were fortunate enough to give me creative control. We got banned from the Super Bowl, which was hilarious. Um, uh, I got a lot of heat for it because uh, they said it was raunchy and nasty. And uh, I thought it was just funny. So that is what it is. Um, it, in terms of Hollywood, they you know, don't care at all about commercials. Uh, in terms of business, you know, I won every significant advertising award. And, you know, 15 years later, my company won the first virtual reality Emmy. So I've been in the advertising branding marketing game for, you know, over 30 years. So I, I know that extremely well and, and have done well in that in regard. But I think uh, for 7-Up in terms of movies and television, Hollywood could have cared less about that. <laughs> that <laughs> all right um, that, which is why so often you see very funny people in commercials never get an opportunity in 
you know, on shows or TV. It's, they're just very separate entities in so many different ways. The groundbreaking part about that was that in order to get a soft drink or a big product like that, you normally needed to be like a Magic Johnson. You needed to be an athlete or a musician. So for them to, to let me write a character-driven campa- campaign for myself as a comedy, that was a rear, that's what the groundbreak was for me, is that I got to do a character-driven campaign because that's not even me. I'm playing a character. Um, and that was a lot of fun for me to be able to write, create a character, attach it to a brand, look at that brand's point of purchase data, and then create a campaign that, that did so well for them and, um, and was so successful. But it only ran for one year, and then it went away. Well, it was impactful. So you did the damn thing. Uh, so- I was lucky, man. It, they bought the time. They really did. I mean, they spent the money. The guys over at Young and Rubicam were good. It was a great experience. But for me, literally, it was kind of blip on the radar. It was eight days of work in one year. Come and on. I, but I'm loving I the never... business. I'm loving the business part of this uh, as well. You just yeah. you, you just <laughs> grabbed me. You just grabbed me by the shirt collar just now with that um we're talking with orlando orlando jones he's in new york y'all there's still seats because i went on to check uh and i don't want to buy it because i usually buy the ones in front but then nobody will be sitting there because I, I probably will not be making my way out uh just to support so i'm gonna get one of them back seats um uh, but there Come are seats through. gotham comedy club tonight at what time and who's featured eight eight o'clock eight o'clock so i brought a kid with me he's a school teacher uh, his name is Charles Ozuna. He's a New Yorker, uh, uh, black Puerto Rican brother, uh, super funny. Uh, enjoy him. There's a kid here named Jimmy out of New York who I really like a lot. Extremely funny comedian. I met him through the animation thing. He was doing voices, thought he was funny. He said, hey, man, you know, I, I host at Gotham a lot. I was like, oh, really? And so we kind of connected. I'm going to have a special surprise guest that I, I can honestly tell you, you do not want to miss. Um, and then uh, I'll go on. So that'll be the, the lineup tonight shows at eight o'clock. And, uh, you know, come laugh with us. Have a good time. You know, check out the lighting for a minute. But don't stand out there in that cold all night. Come in and get a couple of drinks and some good food. And we'll, we'll get you giggling and uh, send you home happy. That, that's kind of the for me, that's the fun of going to New York and the fun of taking around these guys because they they're getting, you know, more stage time, more experience. And they get up in front of different audiences and watching them work through their stuff. So it's, uh, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. So over the next couple of years, um, excuse me, a couple of months, I am working on my own comedy. Uh, I've declared myself a comedian, Orlando, because I have comedians on on Friday. And I'm like, I can't be funnier than you. But they also now got me out on a comedy tour with them. Foolishness Friday Live is on the road. Hey. So if I'm going to do five minutes, I'm only doing five minutes. I'm going to do five minutes. It's got to be funny. So I, I told them, watch what happens. I'm about to be like the funniest, com- like since mom's Mabley. That's my goal. So <laughs> don't give me a goal. So you'll see me out there in the streets uh, to Orlando. What's yes. your process for m- new material? You, are you on stage? Are you working through stuff tonight? Or do you have like a, a hot set? Look, I, I can do a set. Uh, uh, I just, I kind of just decide when I get on stage, if I'm being honest. Um, I uh, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll usually play with some stuff if there's something new i want to play with i'll probably kick that around and play with it a little bit and uh a lot of times i like to see what the room is because i don't really put restrictions on other comedians it also depends on what they've done in their set 
because I'm not necessarily going to go to the same places they've been. But I write pretty constantly. It's all I've ever known since I was a kid. When I started out in comedy, I used to write for other comedians and I used to write jokes and send them into like the Tonight Show for Jay Leno. And he would buy a couple of jokes every now and then from right. me. Um, so, yeah, that's how I started was writing okay writing jokes for comedians, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, uh, first one he bought was about, uh, I said, it's, uh, it was a, I said, I read, read the paper the other day about a guy who was armed and suicidal. Uh, that, that just seemed like a problem that's going to take care of itself. Uh, I don't know why you need to send out the whole police force. <laughs> so, Oh, I see what you, one. okay, that's very edgy uh, and, and a little cringy for people who struggle with that stuff, who's struggling with it, but I like it. Listen, I like you're that. talking about tonight's show. It's tonight's nice. show. There wasn't a big, you know, Jay Leno murdered with that lie, right? You got $15 for the joke and $15 for the callback. That's a $30 joke, right? Yeah. Um, so that was it. That's I grew up. So I, I write a lot because of that. So, you know, um, I'll, I'll do 40, 45 tonight um, for sure. Wow. Uh, so uh, that's just Look, I'm talking about five. Do. You're doing 40, 45 minutes on stage. But the, you, you've you been doing this for, I want to say, about 20 years. So you you know stand, stand up later I, I had a i came into hollywood backwards right i came through i was at random advertising agency when i was 18 and i was writing for other comedians but then i was a writer i came in as a writer producer so i started off behind the scenes as a writer producer and i never shut down my ad business so i didn't really get on stage because i just didn't have time for that until really around 2007 2008 is when i decided okay, fine, I'll go get on stage on stage. But so, but I still have always written. So because of that, I just have a lot of material. And because I write a lot, I just am always writing stuff. So because of that, it just, it gives me the ability to play on stage, which is what I like, and also go off on some tangent uh, and then still keep the show in the theme of the story that I want to tell. For me, it's about the theme of the story I want to tell. And because it's the last bastion of free speech, I want to talk about what's happening, but I want to talk about it in a particular type of way where you can, we get the perspective away from what divides us and onto, we in this, we in this game together, we in this toilet bowl together. Y'all want to swirl down, y'all want to get out of here. So <laughs> that's turd on the loose the turd just jumped the shark all right we got orlando orlando jones uh and if you're in new york tonight gotham where are you going next gotham comedy club in new york city where are you going after this uh I, you know what i'm gonna take december off because we've been out for a while i've been in baltimore i've been oh, wow. in uh, raleigh i've been i'm going back to myrtle beach i'll be down in myrtle beach in january i'll jump back on the asher theater lot down there is the only black owned theater in the state of south carolina so i like to go down there and support and uh, i always take a show down there so i'll be down at gotham uh i'm sorry i'll be down at uh the Asher Theater in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina in January. And then I don't know where I'm going after that because I think I'm I'm still shooting because I'm doing Abbott Elementary and I'm also playing Elgin Baylor on winning time. So my time has been a little crazy uh, between that. So Oh, oh and Swagger. Gotta go swagger. to TCA for when you Listen, Swagger on uh, with, uh, what's the name, Ice Cube's son and those boys. Yeah, O'Shea, from, O'Shea, oh, my O'Shea. God. O'Shea. That show. Wonderful actor. It is amazing. Um, and you're on it now? Yeah, so I did just in season two. It was one of the most magnificent experiences. Uh, Reggie Bythewood is an incredible writer. uh, Yes. Probably one of my favorite writers. Uh, His wife, Gina Prince Bythewood, is also an executive producer on the show. Joy Patchett. 
and woman king. Yes. Okay. Yes. So it's yeah. it's just it's an incredible cast. This season is is spectacular. Um, I play the athletic director uh, for uh, Cedar Cove, which is uh, the high end school that Jace Carson finds himself at uh, for his uh, senior year. I cannot wait for that. Before I let you go, you co-produced the the Sinbad show. And we have been uh, really saddened to, uh, and also I think happy because he's making his way through. Mm -hmm. First, tell us something about Sinbad and your experience working with him because I only hear great things that he's the most magnanimous personality ever. But do you have any updates in terms of his journey um, after suffering the strokes? I don't have updates because I haven't had a chance to talk to Sinbad. Um, And I felt like he's probably getting inundated right now, which is a good thing. Uh, What I can tell you is that Sinbad was a formative part of my life. Sinbad was a comedian that didn't curse and was really following in the tradition of of sort of trying to do what Quinta just did, uh, the type of comedy that the whole family could be a part of. So when I got to be, you know, producer and a writer on his show, it was a, you know, it was a big deal for me uh, as a writer. Um, he's a lovely human. He's a funny, funny man. And frankly, he's a fighter. I don't, I don't know why people keep acting like Sinbad's just some guy. Like Sinbad's a titan. Sinbad's a legend. Sinbad's an icon. I don't think he's going anywhere. I think people should stay tuned because they're about to see probably a whole lot more of Sinbad. For me, that's an incredible thing because I remember when Sinbad had one of the funniest movies in the game and it was a Western and it made a ton of movies for Disney. And part of the distraction of of what he had to deal with was he had done a number one movie but couldn't get anybody to put him in another movie. They kept telling him, you're a TV guy, go away. And I know that was a frustrating situation for him to be in because people act like that didn't happen, but it did. And it goes to show you how the business wasn't ready for what he was doing at that time. And he was following Cosby and it still wasn't ready at that time for, for a comedian that was groundbreaking like him, who was really looking at a comedy in a particular type of way. And the magic of it is Quinta's now in that same space, in that same lane, pushing that same thing forward. So hopefully I even hope we see him on Abbott. I just want to see more of Sinbad. It's just, for me, it's just been a shame to see somebody that amazing be marginalized in some way by the business um that's that to me is just kind of heartbreaking well um we're going to keep praying that all of that comes to fruition that you just said in terms of seeing him again and i know me too uh that he's funny yes and and so were you and so were you so are you i'm so grateful uh come back when you're you know back on tour and maybe you can join us on tour in one of these cities that we will be hitting I'll, I'll talk Let to you, Mike. I will. I will. I would love to see you on okay. stage with us. I love you, Orlando. Fun. Thank you for coming. Much love, Karen. Yes. Orlando Jones, y'all. 